0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Protect Our Province COVID-19 Briefing for Wednesday, January 12, 2022. We are live-streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many peoples. We are grateful to live and work in Alberta, a province on the traditional territory of 48 different First Nations and the unceded homeland of the Métis Nation. Today's conversation is being shared in ASL. To ensure access to completely accurate information... Closed captioning will be uploaded after the live stream is complete. This conversation for the public is being shared live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The Protect Our Province COVID-19 Briefing is a regular panel of doctors and experts. We will endeavor to bring you timely, accurate updates on the COVID-19 situation in Alberta and take questions from the public and the media. The views of our panelists are their own and do not represent any institutions they may be affiliated with. We have collectively gathered here as concerned Albertans, attempting to ensure that everyone in the province has access to as much information concerning COVID-19 in Alberta as possible. As always, we will start things off with an update on the COVID-19 situation in our province. Welcome back everyone before we get going, thank you very much for your patience. I am pleased to say that that is the first time we have had a significant delay in 33 broadcasts, so I am trying not to beat myself up over it. Before we get going, I really wanted to say thank you to everyone who reached out to us after yesterday's urgent briefing. The messages of support, the sharing of personal stories, and the generous disclosures of everyone's hopes and fears moved us all beyond my articulation skills. Alberta is an amazing place with amazing humans, and I am so thankful to share this time with all of you. Before we dive into our topic today, I would like to bring Dr. Joe Vipon into the conversation to update us on Alberta's current publicly available numbers. Dr. Vipon.
1: Yeah, I like that qualifier, um, because as we know, some of these numbers are are not exactly... um, Accurate at this point in time, with the with the high positivity rate, with the number of rapid tests that are um, out there uh, that are not being reported. Um, but let's go through the numbers. Why don't you uh, throw up the slides? So today, new record, uh, pandemic record of six thousand nine hundred seventy five cases. That's a forty seven point six percent increase over last week's. Four thousand seven hundred twenty-six. We have a five-day average today of fifty-eight hundred forty-eight, which is a fifty-five point seven percent increase over thirty-seven fifty-seven a week ago. Next slide, please. And I just put this slide up just so you could see how much higher this wave is compared to the the last um, the last third wave, which I, I seem to or the the delta wave, um, which I seem to remember we thought was pretty bad. Uh, next slide, please. So positivity, um, we're flattening out here. We've had, what, three days of of a uh, flat numbers. So 38.33% today, that's compared to last week of 37.10%. Next slide, please. But again, you can see how uh, much higher this is than the last uh, Delta wave. Next slide, please. So this is our, our hospitalizations and ICUs. Um, you can see how the last 24 hours, it's been flat in the inpatients and that's not going to be real. We'll have an update tomorrow. Just for example, um, the day I'm going to be using as a baseline, um, which is okay. Today's Wednesday. So it was Monday was, uh, yesterday reported at six 17 today reported at, at six 33. So up, uh, almost, uh, uh, 16 and then yesterday, sorry, I'm getting this wrong, um, because there's always a day delay. So that was, those are Sunday's numbers. So I'm doing an addition from Sunday to Monday, and uh, that's a 36 case increase um, to 669. So if we use um, uh, Monday as our uh, Monday to Monday change, that's a 59% increase in hospitalizations, which is um, even a bit higher than the seven um, day average increase in cases. So we now have a, a higher rise in hospitalizations than we do in cases, and this is the where exponential growth gets you um, on ICUs. Next slide, please. Um, you can see also that that's rising quite dramatically, up a number the three today to eighty-two. It's up three because they revised yesterday's numbers to seventy-nine or, or Monday's numbers to seventy-nine. Um, so uh, and that seven-day rise from Tuesday to Tuesday. Um, uh, up from 59 by a 39% increase so 59 to 82 is a 39% increase hope that's making sense um next slide please uh, and this just shows um the again comparing those two waves that delta wave we're catching up you yeah, I mean if there's one good thing about this uh it's that the you know our ICU levels are much lower now than they were at that point in time Um, You know, where the where the hospitalizations up. So the ratio between inpatient to ICU is is what is a lot wider this time. And I think that speaks a little bit to the um, to the the difference in Omicron to Delta. Next slide, please. Um, This is the one that always gets gets my um, stomach. um, Another uh, 13 peds admits and you'll see that there's one new ICU admit for the five to nine range. Next slide, please. And a really large number of deaths—15 deaths, including uh, one below the age of 50. Next slide, please. And this just shows the, um, you know, the various waves and their various deaths. Very similar big curves for the second and fourth wave. A very flat um, third wave, and we don't know where this one's going. But it looks very similar to that to that third wave so far uh, in the initial stages. Um, next slide, please. And this is the um, the age ranges. They're all going up. There's there's nothing. I mean, it's definitely a, a to this point, um, a younger person's wave, the 20 to 60 year range. But everything's going up. Next slide, please. And geographically, we have that consistent urban-rural split with the two big cities leading the way. Next slide, please. Um, I've been adding this slide um, just showing the number of uh, healthcare workers that are off at the moment. Um, so, it's actually interesting a drop in the healthcare workers that are off by 27 today, uh, but still, uh, you know, almost 6,000 people. I think it's really important to recognize that so our workforce is down five or 6%, while our, our um, hospitalizations and ICUs continue to grow exponentially. Next slide, please.
2: So one of the things I've been
1: talking about over the the last um, week is I really want to follow these death curves um, from countries that are preceding us. These are the three countries we've really talked about uh, as being um ahead of us and south africa is being the first one it looks like it's got two days in a row of dropping cases i'm hoping that that is a trend because that would mean they would have peaked out one of the concerns that that i've had is maybe there's going to be a late tail to this mortality curve so tomorrow will really be a day if we if we have three three days of dropping cases that'll be the first time since the start of this wave and that may indicate a peak um denmark um And South Africa peaked out its cases about uh, um, about 20, I'm going to guess it was about 23 days ago. Um, So uh, that would be consistent with previous waves if that is indeed the peak. The United Kingdom peaked out its cases on January 6th. So that was uh, five days ago. Um, still growing strong, so we'll have to watch that closely. And then, of course, Denmark uh, still hasn't peaked out its cases per day. It's harder to see because of the scale, but it uh, still hasn't peaked out its deaths either. So those are the things that I'm watching overseas. Um, I think that's my last slide, Michelle.
0: Thank you very much, Dr. Vipond. Before we do a deep dive into at-home isolation, as one of our focuses has always been to provide answers to the media and folks at home, um, I have a question from Cynthia Roebuck of CTV, and would like to invite her into the conversation to ask her question. Those are the things
1: that I'm watching overseas. Um, I think that's my last slide, Michelle.
0: Oh, that's so fascinating. Cynthia, you're watching and that slight little bit of delay um, versus what's happening in our stream. Would you like to ask your question? Been to you the Cynthia, I just muted you because we can hear your computer sound coming out. I can unmute you if this other program has moved over. Yes, yes. I know. Um,
1: yeah, you're
0: um, live now. You're that's so fascinating, Cynthia. You're watching in that slight <laughs> little bit of delay. I'm enjoying this so very much. Um, Would you like to ask your question? Cynthia, <laughs> I think you watch. have the Zoom window open. Yeah, you gotta um, have the Zoom Can you you're shut down the Zoom yeah, room or mute, or mute the Zoom new, room? Your sounds coming out. I can end you if this. A... Then we'll be able to hear you in this room. So let me know when your Zoom room is muted. Okay. I'm going to pull Cynthia out for a second. Dr. Vipond, would you be willing to stick around um, so I can get Cynthia's question answered for her partway through our conversation with our panel today? Excellent. Thank you. I'm going to move us right forward. Um, So as we know, tiny humans went back to class on Monday while community transmission of COVID-19 is continuing to rise at levels unseen in our province before. It is a fallacy to think that if COVID is in the communities, it won't appear in schools. And when it's appearing in schools and workplaces and other communal establishments, it inevitably comes home. We had the opportunity yesterday to talk with Dr. Bakshi about her experience with COVID at home, and we wanted to take some time to talk Albertans through some of the ways that they can make their homes a little bit safer. With over 60,000 documented active cases in Alberta and an understanding that it is exceptionally undocumented, and that hundreds of thousands of Alberta households are currently experiencing COVID inside their spaces, we wanted to make sure that folks at home would have all of the tools and information to mitigate that risk, to break those chains of transmission, and to navigate detrimental messaging. Lately, you have heard us talk a lot about rejecting the fatalistic view that everyone will get COVID, which brings us to today's topic. So, when COVID comes home, what can you do? Can you do anything? So, that's what we will unpack today. In addition to Dr. Vipond, I am so grateful to have three amazing guests with me. Um, I'm going to start with a round of introductions, and then we'll see about taking Cynthia's question, and then we will dive deep into the air. Um, I am thrilled to introduce Robert Bean, an Airy Share Fellow, distinguished lecturer. He's a retired engineering technology professor who specializes in design of indoor environments and high performance building systems. Robert, before I bring other people on sk- on to the stream, tell me what ASHRAE is because I even can't pronounce it right unless I reread it twice.
2: Right. So ASHRAE is a collective of engineers worldwide engineers we have about 52 53,000 members and we write codes and standards that people use to or standards primarily primary standards uh, but our members do work on code committees as well and and so when buildings are engineered and designed they refer to the documents that we produce.
0: Perfect. Okay. So a lot of technical knowledge that you have that I do not have that we are going to be able to unpack today and I am very excited about it. Mm -hmm. I also have with me today Amanda Hugh, a maker in Calgary, a DIY air cleaner and airborne advocacy specialist guru nut, I don't know what term you want to go with, with the World Health Network Airborne Group and Fresh Air Schools Alberta. Yes?
3: Yes. Yes. Yeah, Thank I mean, you. You can use whatever word as long as uh, we're talking about cleaning
0: the air. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel like we're going to be talking a lot about cleaning air today in order to keep people safe from an airborne virus. Um, and our final panelist of the day is Ryan Uter. Um, an Ottawa-based parent of two tiny humans whose partner is a frontline healthcare worker. Um, we've asked Ryan to be here with us today, one, because he's awesome, two, because he has a lot of experience and knowledge, and three, because you, your family was successfully able to keep COVID in a human as opposed to the rest of the humans that you lived with as well. Yes.
4: Yes. We were,
0: (laughs) which is absolutely amazing. And I know information that everybody at home will be able to gain so much from now before we move. Oh, no, We're going to move right in because I'm yes, we are. We are. Um, I'm going to start with you, Ryan, I think, because I would like to start with the personal before we move into the technical. And I know that you also have a lot of technical knowledge as well, as my understanding is you've worked in international development and health and that you have an MA in international affairs and are currently pursuing an MSc in epidemiology. And so I'm feeling the start with the personal, move into the science, and then move back into how those two can safely become one in everybody's homes. To keep people safe so i'm going to momentarily remove amanda and robert from our conversation um and i'm going to ask you ryan so please tell us this story of well one i suppose the this i guess the successes and the i can only imagine a lot of the feelings that your you and your significant other went through when um, Covid came home from work.
4: Sure. Um, thanks for having me on, Michelle. Uh, and just to set the stage a little bit, my partner is uh, is an emergency uh, physician. um and over the holidays was working quite a bit leading up to um, leading up to Christmas and on Christmas Eve was not feeling well, so we instituted our, our isolation protocols that we had prepared and Christmas morning actually tested positive on a on a rapid antigen test. Um, so obviously timing was um, terrible in, in a lot of respects, but uh, we kind of pulled things together in, in open presence uh, via FaceTime and and managed that way, um, but I wanted to share a little bit about some of the techniques we employed to um, try to prevent transmission within the household. And uh, thank you for for um, noting my. Uh, background, uh, but I, I have to say, a lot of what I've learned has been, uh, you know, through through people like uh, Robert and Amanda who've been sharing details on Twitter. And you know, I'm not an engineer, but um, but I've I've certainly learned a lot about airborne transmission and how to mitigate it throughout the pandemic. So um, I'll tell you a little bit about how we did that. I, I mean, first of all, preparation. I think just um, having some of these tools that I'll talk about. Uh, ready to go in place and knowing where you're going to deploy them is uh, was really helpful for us because we were hitting the ground running when it happened. Um, so first of all, we isolated uh, my partner, um, you know, and I want to uh, acknowledge here that that we have the privilege of having the space in our home to do that, and that's not always possible. So hopefully we can talk about how to do it in, in, in different kind of housing configurations. Um, but we have a, a floor that we were able to dedicate to uh, her staying in, used plastic sheeting um, to put up. Um, I did uh, have a little presentation. If you want to throw that up, you're welcome to, but but we don't need it. Um, I think it's a, uh, there we go. Um, so we've got a little I- isolation zone and there's my partner behind the, the plastic sheeting. Um, and uh, I'll come back in a minute to the to the photo on the left um, with the air cleaner there. Um, but first, just to talk about um, what we did on ventilation. Um, you know, we we used the plastic and we uh, kept the HVAC system running the entire time uh, and tried to create a negative pressure zone within that. Um, that isolation space if we could by cracking uh, a window or two here and there and just making sure we weren't forcing air back into the, the sort of clean area. Um, secondly, we we used filtration. So what you see in the, in the um, bottom left there is a uh, what's known as a Corsi-Rosenthal box named after the people that, that invented it. Um, it's a, a do-it-yourself DIY a uh, filtration uh, air filter using a uh, store-bought fan. And uh, if you want to go to the next slide, uh, there'll be some more photos of those uh, store-bought fans and MERV 13 uh, furnace filters. Um, they basically, you put them together, it pulls the air through the filters and you end up creating uh, a, a clean air uh, using that. And often it, you, it um, it cleans more air than a lot of the commercially available HEPA units. So the one on the, the left you see there, the white one actually was uh, being lent to my neighbor because um, they had a case in their household and, and we're using it there. So the one on the on the right is the one we used in the isolation zone uh, along with a smaller HEPA unit that my partner kept uh, near her and with her when she was sleeping. Um, and the rest of the house, uh, if you wanna go to the next one, you'll you'll see one other, um, HEPA unit that we that we purchased. I think I have four in the house. I'm a little bit of a um, HEPA <laughs> and air purifier uh, nut, so um, it was kind of useful to have all these once we um, had the case of COVID arrive in the house. Um, so in the rest of the house, uh, we kept uh, we kept those HEPA filters running uh, and just to, just kept separate. Um, lastly. Um, Uh, Masking uh, for when my partner did come out. We kept that to a minimum, and I know in a lot of cases that won't really be possible. Uh, But masking with good high quality respirators, Um, I've got these, uh, these are our preferred ones uh, Vitacore, Can 99, made in BC. Uh, but there's lots of lots of great options out there. So just wearing a respirator uh, whenever she came out of her isolation zone, and uh, and we could wear those too if we're interacting with her. Um, so I think uh, I think lastly um, the the last slide I have there. If you want to move to that, is just uh, paying attention to everyone's mental and physical health. Um, you know, uh, I was uh, pulling the heavy weight of uh, you know keeping the kids occupied. Well, we are also isolating in the home and, uh, and keeping my partner, I hope, well fed. Uh, and the photo on the right there is us celebrating New Year's because, uh, you know, her isolation happened to uh, to fall over both uh, Christmas and New Year's uh, holidays. So uh, it, was, it was a bit of a trip, um, but happy to answer any more questions. And, uh, you know, a shout out to Robert and, and Amanda for providing some of the details, uh, in fact, that I used and implemented here in my own home.
0: There will be questions. There will be many questions. And there will be some words from Amanda and Robert um, around um, some of the design stuff for some of that stuff. I must admit that um, I, too, have a Corsi Rosenthal box that I built at home. And I don't know when I became an aerosol fangirl, Um, (laughs) but I did tweet a picture of my Corsi Rosenthal that was primarily constructed with purple-colored duct tape. Made me very excited inside. And within three minutes, Jim Rosenthal tweeted me back and we had a lovely little conversation and my fangirl self got pretty excited to then which I had to contact another aerosol scientist, Connor Rizicki, who's part of our crew, and be sure. like, why do I love aerosols so much? <laughs> um, it's it's absolutely fascinating. This w- Welcome to of... the last
4: year and a half of my life. Yep, exactly, yeah,
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, what were some of the... So, I mean, we could see you guys having the lovely glass of wine on New Year's Champagne. Eve. Champagne. Yep. Champagne, beautiful, my on lunch, New Year's Eve. Um, how did your... Kids cope with having mom behind a plastic barrier.
4: Um, you know what? I was I was shocked at how how well they adapted to that. Um, I mean, we found out on Christmas morning that uh, my partner had the positive uh, rapid test, and so immediately kind of changed the plans from opening uh, presents together to uh, to having it on Facetime. But i I think the kids felt it was uh it was a bit more of an audience for them. so they actually they actually did great. Uh, I mean there were eight more days after that uh, where we were um isolating. so you know it wasn't it wasn't ideal uh, but you know I, we're very fortunate. My kids are slightly older now, so seven and ten and and fairly independent. They're both reading and listening to podcasts and drawing so. Uh, you know, we did okay. We're it was fortunate in in some sense that it was over the holidays when we didn't have a lot of other commitments going on, and we had already canceled plans to see family, so it, it was fine.
0: A lot of the folks at home that join us are parents. We do spend a fair bit of time talking about tiny humans and the impacts that all of this has had on them. Um, as a parent, what would be Your advice to the parent in isolation or the parent on the outside, if you happen to be fortunate enough to have that two-parent household situation, Um, yeah, that one sort of walk away that you took from going through this with your kids.
4: Oh, that's that's a tough one. I mean, uh, first of all, I'd say preparation, you know, be be prepared for this happening. It's a reality right now that it's going to befall many families. So um, having that conversation, you know, as a family and, you know, like I said, welcome to last 18 months of my life. Uh, My kids have heard all that conversation about um, COVID being airborne and uh, you know are well acquainted with all the, the HEPA and and Corsi Rosenthal purifiers in our home. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have uh, any amazing advice on the emotional side. Maybe uh, some other parents can can jump in and <laughs> and offer things like that.
0: What I heard, and I mean, correct me if. I heard incorrectly was that a great deal of transparency in your home around how COVID is transmitted as well as a possibility that this could happen um, might have saved some of the fear that the tiny humans had on the other side of when it did actually happen because if they are already in that wonderful place of being able to say COVID is airborne and we are prepared, it seems to me that that would be exceptionally helpful of then it's not a scary unknown. It's something that we've talked about as a family um, and have a plan, which I know planning helps me.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think kids can react differently and, you know, I I, I give a lot of credit to our kids for, for rolling with it uh, and for accepting parents that are, Slightly obsessed with this topic, <laughs> so uh, you know your results may vary. Uh, obviously, uh, some kids will have anxiety around, around COVID in general, and, and the fact that a parent um, has it. But you know they understand um, they understand the importance of of vaccination. And uh, you know my partner was boosted, um, I, you know a month or two before as a healthcare worker. And I myself was boosted the day before um, she started becoming symptomatic. Uh, the kids uh, received their second dose a few days before, so so I think they were um, not terribly worried uh, at that point. You know, the, the the odds are it would be a mild um, course. Um, not to say that Omicron is mild, and and obviously uh, at a society level we have huge problems, but um, but. Yeah, explaining, explaining the reality of what what is likely, how the course is likely to go, I think it's helpful.
0: Thank you so very much for sharing um, some insight into your experience with having ah, COVID at home after two years of trying to prevent COVID coming home. i'm going to bring amanda and robert into the conversation um i may pause us at a moment in time to allow cynthia's question to happen for dr vipond but he's currently not in my bubbles of sight so i will wait till he returns to make that happen um Hello again, team. It is so lovely to have you back. Before we get into sharing some schematics, some drawings, some options, some ways that one can approach this at home, just based on listening to Ryan's story, what are the couple of key moments for each of you that he brought up that he said he got a lot of this information from wonderful humans like you guys that you are like, thumbs up. It is a victory. People are hearing us. Robert, maybe starting with you, and then over to Amanda. Well, I,
2: all I can say, Ryan, is after 40 years of being <clears throat> in the business, that to, to see someone take the knowledge that we share from the engineering community and apply it and get it to work uh, brings a tear to my eye. <laughs> it's awesome. And before I continue, Michelle, <clears throat> I was introduced in the in the introduction as a professor. That would be an insult to academia. So I was never a professor, <laughs> and uh, although I do lecture. At academic uh, institutions, I was never a (laughs) professor. I don't want to insult any of the professors.
0: (laughs) My, I, my apologies, probably for my lack of ability to read over my fangirling of aerosolism. I don't know because I can see right in front of me on the screen, distinguished lecturer. It's been a long week. We're all in that place. Um, (laughs) Thank you very much, Robert. I know probably two people who are tenured and everyone else that I know that teaches at a post-secondary institution is a sessional. So I know that those tenured folks um, have worked beyond hard to make it where they are. So I think that they will appreciate our um, retraction. (laughs) Amanda, how about you? What did you
3: take away from Ryan's story in terms of thumbs up? This is just great. I mean preparation I mean you know when we talk about being prepared having things around and the preparation for your family is is huge and just normalizing the idea that um, having the stuff around having fun with it it's something that I think it it helps bring some normalcy to the pandemic I know that that's kind of something that helps in my household with my three-year-olds obviously I'm gonna have aerosol mitigations around, because that's something that really interests me. And uh, yeah, so it makes it something that's not, um, not abnormal. And at least when you have that stress of uh, encountering a case in your home, that that's not an additional stress to have to be, you know, kind of gathering all this information. And so I think that that's kind of the takeaway for me. And um, I think the idea of, uh, you know, when you were talking about moving, you know, setting up pressure areas and making sure that kind of you have the person who's isolated and then you uh, decide to kind of, you know, pull the air out and, you know, having that that barrier and then having a really um, high capacity air purifier really helpful. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a great execution and... <laughs> applaud it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that's relevant too is, um, you know, you spoke to about the privilege of having that space. And I think that's a really important thing to talk about, because I know a lot of people who have successfully done this as well in, you know, two bedroom apartments with a shared bathroom. And it's really just about understanding where the air goes and where you need to keep it. And so it's doable in different ways. um, And even when you don't have as much space to deal with.
0: In a moment, we're going to transition into some of those specifics, and I am going to ask Robert to share some schematics um, and ways that configurations can happen, as well as look at some of those high-priority must-haves, as well as those if you can, would be great to have added extras. Before we do that, I'm just going to bring Dr. Vipond up for one quick second. That way I can ask Cynthia's question from CTV. Um, Dr. Vipond, she was wondering or stated that we Um, we're expecting masks and rapid tests for schools by the end of the week, but it looks like we won't be getting them fully distributed by the end of the week. Um, How do you think this is going to affect schools in our province?
1: You know, it wasn't that long ago I was really excited about rapid tests and the potential it could provide because it, it seemed that we would be able to find those asymptomatic spreaders before they became symptomatic and therefore could use it as a test to stay type of tool. So, you know, for schools, um, say uh, Bobby gets sick in, in chair two, well, all the people around uh, Bobby could be instead of going home and isolating for a week, could be just testing themselves every day to see if one day magically their, their um, test turns positive, then they stay at home and the rest of the class can continue on. What we're learning with, Um, Omicron is that that, those rat tests are testing late. So they're actually tending to test on day one, two, or three of symptoms. Um, And so the PCR tests are preceding those. And of course, we we can't get PCR tests. So this is no longer a great tool for tests to stay. And I would say that it's going to be taking the place of, um, oh, it's, uh, you know, uh, Ralph now has uh, sniffles. Is this COVID? And then testing serially for this symptomatic illness. So as far as protecting classrooms, I don't think rats are going to be an effective tool. Um, and I would just uh, say also that the surgical masks, um, unless they're modified to prevent uh, the inhalation of virus, um, that these uh, surgical masks aren't aren't effective tools um, uh, for kids. And I would really encourage All uh, parents to consider getting a respirator style mask. They're hard to come by, um, but they're out there. And um, you can also take those surgical masks and modify them by making a brace, a surgical brace, or a a mask brace. You can find um, templates online. Um, Or there's a a nifty little um, uh, treatment you can do to it called, I'm going to get this right, I think, knot, tuck, and tape. So knock, knot, tuck tape technique to improve the fit of those masks. So those are the two things I would do with the um, provincially provided masks. And I would encourage the province to consider um, getting respirator style masks for all of our kids going forward.
0: Thank you very much. Now back to our topic. Robert, I'm bringing you up. We have the schematics ready to go. I am unmuting you. Oh, maybe I'm not. I am. I am. I am. I'm not. You're going to unmute yourself, Robert, because it's just not going to let me because you remute. Oh, perfect. Uh, it is brilliant, brilliant, right. brilliant. So here we go. Okay. I'm a rather A-type person, Robert, sometimes. <laughs> and let's put me in a scenario where I need to pre-plan to prevent disaster. So if my credit card and I felt comfortable Talk me through slash show me. We'll bring up your slides. The ultimate preparatory setup.
2: Okay. I think before you pull out your credit card, you really need to get into a frame of mind, much like Ryan and his family did. And that was to get into a state where this is a learning experience for everybody and that you aren't helpless. There are things that you can do. And be confident in that security that uh, that uh, there, are, there are ways that you can get through this as Ryan and his family have. So um, now you can pull out your credit card. <laughs> so what we really wanna understand is that uh, air, although we tend to see it as a gas, it is actually a fluid and it's a conveyor belt. And so whatever is on that conveyor belt will move throughout the home. And what we want to avoid is those infected individuals who are delivering contaminated air, the virus on the air, onto a conveyor belt that can get moved throughout the home. So that's the first thing we want to do is we want to prevent that. And in fact, that's actually the simplest part. And the reality is you probably have everything in your home to uh, resolve that particular challenge. And so uh, if you want to bring up the slide or the website. So what we did is we we knew a long time ago that this thing was gonna spin out of control and that people would be in home with some or one or more people that would be infected and that there was no solutions coming from any of the health organizations, whether at the federal level a provincial level level, uh, or even in our municipal systems, it just wasn't gonna happen. And so we wanted to uh, create examples of rooms with or without bathrooms that could be used as isolation suites, if you will, just like Ryan did. And so the first thing we wanna do is we need to recognize is that air will move throughout your house. Predominantly in Canada, uh, most HVAC systems, which is the heating, ventilation, air conditioning system are air-based, which means you're gonna have a furnace. For those that have hydronic or steam or electric, it's a little bit of a different story, but the primary principle here is that air is going to move and you want to prevent any air from a room that you've assigned as the isolation room to move anywhere where there's gonna be people who are still healthy and are not infected. So what we want is we want a space that we can close off. And so this example here is typical of a bedroom, with an attached bathroom, um, more of a modern uh, facility because there's a ceiling fan. Not all bathrooms have ceiling fans and particularly in the older houses and we'll get into that in a second. So this representation um, identifies that we have a door entering the bedroom and we have windows in the bathroom and the bedroom and a door, of course, uh, joining into the bathroom. So the first thing we want to do is we want to stop any airflow from leaving this room and contaminating the spaces that the healthy people or the uninfected people are in. So we close the door and then we want to either tape it, the bottom part, any leakage that that could occur, put a towel up against it, whatever it takes, Uh, just be creative. You just do not want to have any air leaving that bedroom into the hallway or any to adjoining spaces. And then the next thing we want to do is we want to, open up windows we need to get air outdoor air coming into the space and the contaminated air leaving the space so we're going to use the bathroom fan so the bathroom is going to be running continuously and if you take air out of a space air needs to come into the space so we don't want to encourage air to come from within the house we want it to come from the outdoors so that's the reason why we open up a window that costs nothing. Everybody has a towel. Everybody has windows. That costs absolutely nothing to do that. But that will that becomes the barrier that stops the airflow um, from the house into the bedroom or the or vice versa. But the other thing that might be in that room will be the diffusers or the registers of the grills that are sending air into the space or taking air out of the space. And you'll see there, there's a note there: sealed return air. So what, one of the things that we don't also want to happen is we don't want someone uh, exhaling contaminated air into the space and then the heating, ventilation, air conditioning system, the HVAC system, to pull that air into the plenum, the duct work, take it into the furnace, pass through some type of a filter, and we'll talk about that later, uh, and then be redistributed back into the space. Now, I want to make sure that people understand- Can I ask you a quick question, Robert? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Do we mean my cold air return? So like the big one? Exactly. Okay. Okay. So I want to cover that cold air return. Correct. If I'm the human isolating in
2: this particular setup. Exactly. Okay. Perfect. Thank you. All right. Now we want to be really careful here. There are... um, not a lot of research work that can suggest that COVID is traveling in the duck works and being distributed. There are some cases where they're finding virus uh, in the duck work, but it's not something that we want to be paranoid about. Okay, so at this point, we need to recognize that it's a possible path for distribution, but it's also at this point. Um, something that doesn't happen a lot. And there are very few cases that demonstrate that this does happen. So let's not get paranoid here. Um, why we're closing it off is it, it's all about elevating and eliminating, uh, risk. So we sealed up the return air. We seal up the door. Uh, if there's any supply suppliers into the space, you can seal it up, but keep in mind that that's a positive pressure outlet, the air coming out to heat or cool the room. Um, it is another step of of, uh, of risk reduction by covering up, and that's fine to do that. But the return error is the one that we want to focus on, and the underneath the doors. So then, get out your credit card, and it's and for those that have the wherewithal, um, you know, there's elevated things that you can buy. For those that are on limited budgets, rest assured that you can build one of these Corsi. Um, uh boxes rosenthal boxes for less than 200 and they'll last uh easily six to seven months before you have to um, rebuild them again and so we'll show some photographs of that later on i mean i think clean air uh crew amanda i I think you guys have some videotapes on how to build these things is that right
3: yeah, we have um, you know, Clean Air Crew and um uh the World Health Network. We've done a bunch of resources and we've posted them to each other. And so there's a lot of stuff out there and I I know that some people get intimidated by building their own air purifier like it sounds and then also they they wonder does this actually work because I built it myself. And um I you know I've had people say to me I I have two left hands and I managed to build one of these. <laughs> and and so it's just pretty simple you just have to make sure that the arrows on the filters are going the right way and the air is coming out of it and it's uh once you put it together it's pretty fantastic and The the air cleaning capacity, I mean, there's just a study that came out that said it, you know, it's it's gonna beat, you know, thousand dollar air purifiers out of the water. So
2: totally out of the
3: water. Yeah. And as a human who
0: would not consider themselves technically inclined in any way, shape, or form, who did build a Corsi Rosenthal, there's arrows on those filters (laughs) to help you know which way to point them combined with you rip duct tape. You don't need to cut it with scissors. Yep, because you when you shirts, spend but... all of your time <laughs> trying to cut it with shears, it will get stuck to your body. Yeah. But you can rip it and
3: then it won't. Yep. I it's, think. it's, uh it's, yeah, it's fantastic to be able to be empowered to build something that is so effective. Yeah. And
2: and have fun with it. You know, I mean, it's, it's a, it's going to be a very useful device, um, but it's a learning experience and it gives you an opportunity to drink adult beverages. (laughs) So put
3: it together, even if you've had several of those.
2: You can. And, and the reality is it takes less than 20 minutes. You know, I've built so many of those things. Now you can do them in your sleep and man, I don't know how long it took you to build yours or, you know, but they're, they're so easy to make.
3: Yeah. And, and once you get, once you get practiced, you know, I think I've done, you know, you can do it in yeah, 20, 25 minutes. And once you start doing them on mass, you, you really pick up the pace. So, yeah. and that's something that I hope we can be doing more in Alberta is building a lot of them at, yeah, uh, sure. and disseminating. So For let's For yeah, folks up at a... home,
0: though, who are like me, I will say that the first attempt that I made at building one was not a 20-minute adventure. It was not an hour-long adventure. It was probably closer to a four-hour-long adventure while doing other things, I will admit. It did exceptionally speed up once I realized you could rip the duct tape. I just don't want anyone to be discouraged because I was so pleased with it when it was done. But it was definitely the first time was a teeny bit of a process. And so cut yourself a lot of slack and just yeah. be excited like
2: that ready. you're
3: actually doing something with your hands, which just <laughs> yeah. feels really good. After the first one, you, you work out all the kinks and then you know what to do. Yeah,
2: yeah for sure. So let's have the uh, the page up again. And um, it's illustrated on the, the portable filter, MERV 13 or better. And the reality is MERV 13 is fine. And you can buy these things anywhere, um, online. Uh, All the uh, home supply stores have them. Um, For those that are listening, you know, you're going to be looking for a MERV 13. If you go to the big box stores, they're going to probably be selling something that has a brand name of Filtrete on it, which is fine. Those are – I mean, you want to pick the 1900 or the 2300 series. Um, But it's – it's almost worth going to watch people buy filters. It's actually kind of entertaining um, and probably a great place to, for marriage counselors to pick up uh, clients. Uh, but MERV 13, filtrate 1900 series or 23, 2200 series and you'll be fine. Put them together and put them in the room. And you're going to run these things uh, all time, 24 hours, as long as the bathroom fan is running, this fan should be on and the open window should be on. And they... Can't in a small room, you're good. These box fans can on the higher speed can be a little bit noisy. Some people might find that to be a, a, a problem for them sleeping. Um, on the low speed, they're not too bad, but let's face it, we're talking about triage here. People are sick, and we're just gonna have to tolerate some things that we would not normally tolerate, but it's not forever, it's just for a few weeks, if that. So, get that going, and then. Because we live in a cold climate, um, it's not always convenient to open up a window and and then, of course, have thermal comfort where you're going to have some thermal discomfort. So using some type of space heater, so get out your credit card again, and if you can afford to buy some space heaters, then I would recommend that you look at doing that. Um, Just a word of caution on space heaters is that they have been known to cause fires when properly, uh, improperly operated. And so you wanna follow the manufacturer's instructions on them, so just be very careful with them. But again, this is short term. This isn't permanent heat for the room. This is heat for the room while the person's in there uh, recovering. And uh, so the portable filter, that's a must. Um, The electric heater, that obviously might be a must. One of the other things that I would recommend if you have the wherewithal is to buy a humidifier. And uh, one of the favorite ones that I have has a UV light in it, which is a disinfectant uh, light. Um, And it's uh, effective in terms of making sure we don't have any bacteria in the water. One of the problems with humidifiers is that people oftentimes don't change the water or the water becomes stagnant. And uh, it in turn then can cause uh, illness. So we want to make sure that we're keeping the humidifiers clean, and if you can, buy humidifiers that have some type of way of uh, getting rid of the bacteria that can uh, grow inside of water systems. And then the next thing is the CO2 sensor, and carbon uh, dioxide, not monoxide, but dioxide. And this is an instrument that you can pick up. Uh, Amanda, I think you had yours there. You were showing it off earlier on. If you could bring them out, There it is. And these, I, you're at very right now. What, sorry. Have been, what have you been doing in that room? <laughs> I've just been
3: talking and talking, and it just fills up.
2: Keep that up there. I want, to, I want to actually use this because normal background. Um, Carbon uh, dioxide in the atmosphere range is anywhere between 400 and 550 parts per million So Amanda looks like she's been doing jumping jacks or something 1600. I think
3: Yeah, I think someone's cooking with gas upstairs. you know, it's
2: <laughs> yeah, So so there's a lot of you know, it's a respiratory um, Measurement that we're looking at here because the body expels uh, carbon dioxide But it, it is also available through other processes cooking actually will also generate some co2. So um. In this case, and this is actually a good example that, you know, when you see numbers like that from these little devices, that you should open up the window further and ventilate the space. And you would normally, like, I have these in several rooms, and we use them as a regular indicator that the room air needs to be changed at a much higher rate. So uh, going back to, and Ryan, did you have a CO2 meter? In your- I, I
4: do. It's on loan right now, but I have the same model that Amanda does uh, and uh, yeah, we, we use that as well. I find in the winter, um, the CO2 tends to stay a little lower. I don't know, uh, Robert, if, if the stack effect in a leaky house um, seems to uh, freshen the air inside, but that's what that's what we experience.
2: Yeah, so I, I wouldn't get too concerned when you start getting in, I mean, if you're in the 550, 650, 750, 850, but as soon as you get in the 850 and you're starting to approach a 1000, you know what? Open up the windows a little bit more. And uh, my husband
3: just texted me and said, "I am cooking on the gas range oh, you right it. now."
2: So. <laughs> are we sharing? Do we, do we all get food tonight or what? Yeah, just come over.
3: I mean, I guess we'll have to send it to you, Ryan. But
4: <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, so, I feel like you're going to tell us about the hood fan, though, and, and the dangers there. This is uh, what I remember. You know, if we had from more time,
2: computer. I would get into that because it's okay. one of my soap boxes, <laughs> um, for sure. So going back to <laughs> tonight's subject, so we have the fan, and that's there to filter the air in the space that the um, person who – has the virus and is infected and that's to make sure that whatever air they're breathing out is clean we don't want them rebreathing the infected air that's like you know having a wound and keeping it infected we don't want to be doing that so the filters for for that for the occupant but also to make sure that there, if there is any risk at all of air leaving that space into other adjoining spaces that that has been cleaned as well so the fan uh, the humidifier the electric heater and the and the co2 sensors so if you can if, if you're on a limited budget, at the very least, get the fan because that's going to clean the air and opening up the windows and sealing the room up. You probably have everything that you need in your house for that right now. And that fan, like I said, for under $200, it's going to be less than that depending on what you're paying for box fans and filters. But budget 200 bucks, and you'll be fine. Uh, the CO2. Ryan, so-
3: I was just going to say Ryan's that you used. You use the round fan, the, the, which is yeah. kind of something that we've been looking at because you can use a box fan, but there's also options for using round fans as well.
4: So I've made both. Um, The box fan was first, and I did find it a a touch noisy for our living space. So I I wanted to try the round fan. And Amanda, I I stumbled across your video uh, putting one of those together yesterday. So uh, thanks for that. Um, This one, I I tried to do without the box on it, and I, I think it has a bit more airflow and a little quieter. So there are definitely um, some different options out there if you're willing to make a little extra effort.
2: Yeah, and you know, and that's a good point. I mean, people like kitchen fans, i see we're going down that path. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it, Robert, don't do it.
1: You know, if it's noisy, they won't
2: use it, right? Um, and And as soon as you shut the fan off, then you've shut down the ability to filter the air. So if sound, you know, some people are really sensitive to sounds, then you want to be picking quiet fans and the round ones for sure are going to be a better solution. So um so that's I, what we so
1: I want to say,
4: Robert, I still use the the box fan one though, and it's it, you know I used it for months before I upgraded. I just have a little bit of a obsession with uh, perfecting things, so
2: you know people <laughs> should still
4: make the box fan ones. They're really easy.
2: They're super simple. The, yeah,
3: yeah. The interesting thing about the round fan is that it actually is a lower frequency sound than the box fan. Yes. And so that does help with that irritation of sound. That it's not always necessarily more quiet, but the lower frequency does help and so those things do matter too in terms of when you're mitigating that kind of stuff that if it's going to be really irritating for someone while they're sick and recovering you know those things matter and so you know that was something that our team worked on a lot because we all have people with sensitivities to you know sound and light and in our on our team and in our families and so you know it's it's more about doing something that's going to be in the space and work and rather than you know it being perfect too cuz all of these mitigations are better than nothing
2: yeah totally
3: So
0: in the interest of time, because I do have a bunch of questions that people have sent that I would like to ask as well as a couple of my own. Now, Robert, obviously, we are going to be tweeting out the website with all of the schematics on it. What other rooms do you have outlaid on there? So we looked at one that was a bedroom with an attached bathroom just for folks at home so
2: they know what they can look for when they go on. What other rooms do you have? Do you want to bring it up and we'll just quickly scroll through it? Just so they can when they when they go to the website so just scroll to the next one it's the same room but no bathroom fan so now what do we do when there's no bathroom fan so there's a solution for that next uh, next uh, image then this one is um where there's no ability to put in a, a either a window fan or, or a bathroom fan it's just a temporary solution it's got some flaws because we're using wind and some science to, to move the air through the space. But if in the event that you don't have money right away to make a Corsi fan, or there's back order and you can't get them, you can move air through a space without fans. So that's uh, that's there. Next uh, next image. Um, here's where we actually have an ability to put a fan in the bathroom, and uh, and so it's. Basically the same as the first image, but this one is where there's no ceiling fan and you actually have to mount the fan in the window. Next image. All right, this actually one is one that I want to pay a a little bit of time onto. Um, If your house has what we call a natural draft appliances, in other words, there's no fan to remove the exhaust fans. What can happen is if you put a room into negative pressure, is it's possible to depressurize the home. And what we're talking about depressurization, we're actually talking about pulling products of combustion down the chimney instead of letting it go up. And now you're gonna introduce carbon monoxide into the space and carbon monoxide kills. And I would just wanna really caution people that if you don't know what you have in your house, hire a contractor or an engineer to come out and tell you what you have before you start playing around with depressurizing the buildings. Um, I wish we could spend more time on this, but read the notes, it's all there. Just be very careful in this particular application. Next image. So this is when we get into two units that are sharing a bathroom. And the first one, uh, figure six, is where the person on the left-hand side, the person that is infected, has access to the bathroom. And then once they're done, how does the person who's uninfected use the bathroom? And so it's really about you're, you're really coordinating with each other to use the space and then decontaminating the space, both the air and the surfaces in that bathroom uh, in between use. So this image here is for when the infected person needs to use the washroom. And then the next slide, if you scroll up, I'll scroll down, sorry, shows how to make that transition. So really it's about coordinating it. So then if you want to go down to the next um, image, those are just some examples. If you are on a really low budget, and I know there's some people that are out there and they're going, we just have no money, we can't do this. You can just buy a single fan and put a single filter behind it. Um, That is better than not having a, a box. So if you are on a really, really tight budget and you need to build something, just build, take a single fan, you can zip tie it, you can tape it, whatever it is that's, Just put the fan behind it, and that will get you at least some filtration in the space. It's not the best, but if that's what you can afford, then then do that. Um, And then some of the other assemblies that we've built for people. Keep uh, scrolling up or down. These are just some examples of other ones. This is in my office. You can see the filter that's up on the desk and if you go to the next one these are just series of different fans there's the box there and then the next one which is in uh, one of the bedrooms and i got to tell you i've have several different makes the box one hands down is the best one it's the lowest money if you have to replace the filters it's going to be the least cost it has way better performance so I'm probably going to get in trouble with the manufacturers, but the reality is, you can make a much better product for a lot less money. And uh, so, just set yourself a budget, two hundred, and don't spend any more than that.
4: <laughs> I think <laughs> you know, mine I was one hundred and fifty, uh, yeah. and yeah, the the calculations we did is that it well outperformed everything else in the house.
2: Yeah.
3: Well, and I think now- that's an interesting thing about these boxes, right? Because they you look at, you know, why do they clean air so much? It's because they have so much surface area and then they pull all of this air through. And so even if they're not, the filters themselves are not as, you know, efficient at pulling particles out like a HEPA filter, um, it's because you're moving more air through it. And so that's kind of one of the really amazing things about this design and um, the ability to kind of just build something that is so effective and, It took me a while to learn about it so that I could actually convince myself. And then also there's also been studies that have been coming out that also right. show it's
2: effective. So then if you could go to the back to the, the webpage, uh, Michelle, and on this the one last image there. So we've talked about, uh, keep going, yeah, right there. So we've talked about the bare minimum is to have, get the fan or the felt fan filter. That's the bare minimum. And then there's the uh, CO2 sensor. That's one of the ones that we have here. Um, there's some different style masks, and as Joe said, and as everybody here on the podcast agrees, and anybody that knows anything that I trust, uh, after 40 years, you become pretty cynical, <laughs> and about uh, people that say things. And I am as cynical as the as the next engineer, um, and I got to tell you that when it comes to uh, the people that got it right at the beginning is the people that understood aerosol transmission and the need to have high quality masks and make sure that they fit well. And those are just some samples there that that I have in my inventory as well. Um, and then if you have extra cash, you know, that you can afford to buy the, the heaters and the CO2 meters, uh, the oxygen meters, um, and then rapid tests, uh, which I use to just to see you know, it's just as it's, it's a for me, it's a level of confidence. How am I feeling right now? And am I able to get out and do the things that I want to do without, you know, creating problems for other people? So it's more about for, for my confidence level and making sure that I'm making the best decisions so that I don't if I am, infected, I'm not affecting other people. So that's that's it. And
0: for folks who are listening, Robert, versus those who are following along visually, um, the website that we have been referencing throughout this so far is
2: Uh, healthyheating.com. So, not healthy eating, although that's good too. That's good too. Healthy heating, heating, and then healthyheating.com.
0: And Amanda, Brian has mentioned some excellent videos of you building things. Where do Uh, I go?
3: We've got them on, it's uh, Fresh Air Schools on on uh, YouTube. And then we also have our Fresh Air Schools um, Twitter account. So it's Fresh Air AB. And um, the, we also got like Clean Air Crew. Uh, they've got a ton of our stuff. So we, we just collaborate and um, uh, share each other's work because it's kind of this collaborative process, I think of building, um, information and then physically building uh, filters that um, it's been really exciting.
0: So we're going to do a speed round of questions here, one of which I think we touched base on, but I just want to reconfirm. Um, we are changing our filters every six or so months for Corsi-Rosenthal boxes.
3: There's yes, a lot of I head think, nodding. Yeah. And today. I think it really, you know, uh, when I've talked to Jim Rosenthal about it and um, Robert, I'm, sh- I'm sure it can f- confirm this like, it's usually, you know, if you're using it for COVID mitigation, you know, six, seven months for the reason I got into building these filters was for wildfire smoke. And so um, if you do, if you're using something like that, where the air is quite dirty, and it's going to get a lot of dirt and particulates, then you might have to replace them sooner, like three or four months. Robert, does that track for you? Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So we have acknowledged, but I'd like to really reinforce the fact that a lot of this conversation did involve my fictional credit card um, and that we really were approaching this from a lot of privilege. One of the takeaways that I took from the beginning of your conversation with us today, Robert, was if COVID followed me home and I was now at home and I was there and there was no changes that I could make because I was not a pre-planner and my credit card is maxed out, which it is, quite frankly. Um, Closing my door, blocking the bottom of it, closing off those registers, opening windows where I can and trying to get that air to still move would be a really good first step. And then possibly layer that with some continuous masking. And I could mitigate the risk with some of those layers to the folks in my shared space with nothing except for those things. I realize that's not the. The right. The gold standard of, you know, if we had six fictional credit cards that Michelle was sharing, but <laughs> with the maxed out credit card, um, those are some good initial steps. Yes, just as. Yeah, a,
2: absolutely. Yeah, there's yeah, y- there are things that you can do. So for those that are listening and, and you are, you know, because you've got bills to pay and there's food that needs to go on the table and all that kinds of stuff, like we get it. We've all been there. And uh, But there are things that you can do and without having to spend any money at all. And that is put the person, isolate them, close off the air. It just means that they're going to have to be a little bit more active in terms of opening, because it gets cold out. We can't keep windows open and have them freeze too, right? And have them die of something else or get sick of something else. And Obviously we're hoping for that all recovery, everybody recovers. Ryan, it sounds like you're, you have a good story to tell in terms of recovery. So that's awesome to hear by the way. Um, so they're just going to have to be cognizant of opening and closing windows and turning fans on and off if, if that's available to them.
0: And, Okay, so we'll do like two more quick round questions because I know we're at the hour, but we started a few minutes late. And so I'm like, we're four minutes over the hour and we paused for a question um, from CTV. So I'm just going to get a couple more of these in. Um, Amanda, you had mentioned having some success with folks who um, were in multifamily complexes or apartments Mm -hmm. and more of that larger shared living space areas. Um, I would love to hear a little bit about that before we...
3: Well, I think it's, you know, I mean, my one of our, you know, air buds, like my air buds, um, who uh, lives in India, she had, she had contracted COVID, and she lives with her two parents, and they, they have, um, you know, an apartment and uh, her bedroom, and there was a shared bathroom. And, and so, you know, a lot of what she did was about isolating people in spaces. And so if she had to, go use their shared washroom she made sure her parents were as far away from her in the farthest bedroom and she would go in and they had all of the exhaust fans running you know she had air purifiers but even if you don't it's about kind of building those barriers because um you know the analogy that has been used as people start to understand airborne transmission more you know smoke in the air i think that's a really useful thing to think about so if you are trying to keep Food smells from cooking or smoke uh, from cooking, what do you do? You close a door and then you you kind of stop the air from moving into other spaces and you know those particulates move in the same way and so she always had yeah, she always had her parents move as far away from her room as she could. She was wearing a respirator, she would go in she would come out, they would wait for the space to air out. Um, and that's part of it too, is just that those particles remain for a little bit. So that's, you wanna make sure that this space, when you can remove the air or filter the air, that you wait for a little bit until those particulates might have dissipated or been removed or filtered. And then she would isolate in her room, then her parents were safe to come back into their space or safer. And so it's, it's just about once you understand how the how the airflow can help protect you. Um, it's it's not as daunting, I think, as it's made out to be. And the idea that we just have to accept that everybody is going to get COVID. I think a lot of it comes from the idea that we don't. A lot of people don't know that you are breathing it at, in because someone has recently breathed it out into the space. And then uh, that's part of how you're getting infected. And so I think that that's a a very basic understanding that um, once more people know, I I think it becomes more intuitive and it's less intimidating. Mm -hmm.
0: So my true speed round of questions, all three of you are gonna answer at the exact same time. They (laughs) are going to be very straightforward questions and I'm curious to see how it goes okay so we hear a lot about whether or not you should have your furnace fan running on on as opposed to auto on 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 auto or off on on <laughs> on okay what particulate rate or degree or whatever I don't know things about filters filter do you have in your furnace Murph
2: 13 Murph 13. You Murph 13
0: now. <laughs> Can you put a MERV 13 in your home furnace or is that challenging for your furnaces motor? Ask your HVAC technician.
4: <laughs> I actually oh, yeah. I say don't. I, I, I'll say don't and I'll tell you why, because they all tell me to put MERV 8, but the MERV 8 um, in the filtrite line actually has a higher resistance than the MERV 13. So right. in in that sense, sometimes the HVAC technicians don't know. And Robert, if I'm wrong, you correct me here. You are, you actually are the, the the engineer. But um, but this is what, what I've learned by looking at the box and talking with other engineers is that it's actually lower resistance.
2: So I'm gonna I'm gonna make a swag here. Um, for those that don't <laughs> know what swag is, it's a super wild ass guess. Um, that eighty percent of the people. Uh, out there haven't changed their filters in a long, long time, and they're so plugged up, they operate like a Merv 15, (laughs) or a HEPA, and pulling them out and putting a Merv 13 is actually probably the the furnace is probably going to breathe a sigh of relief. (laughs)
0: Interesting, <laughs> Ryan. I can honestly say that I have heard similar to you. My HVAC technicians have always told me to keep it below that one thousand mark. What is in my furnace? But I yeah. can say that I did see David Elstrom recently um, have a right conversation. Now, yeah. yeah, about the yeah. fact that I could put in a filtrate nineteen hundred and that yeah. its capacity um, wouldn't affect my furnace motor any more than when I had the 1,000 or less.
4: Yeah, and the 1900 seems to be the sweet spot in terms of resistance and filtration. So if you go higher, you actually um, limit the uh, airflow a little bit. And so the overall volume of air cleaned is a little less. Um, So that's just the way I've been thinking about it.
3: For more information on pressure drop, follow us all on Twitter. <laughs>
2: it's pressure drop. All the time. Start our day with a coffee and a pressure differential discussion.
1: And yeah. my
0: last um, aerosolist um, geeky type question that I've just heard so much debate on, and I just again just a yes or a no, just to spark the conversation. This narrative that HEPA is detrimental when mechanical ventilation is already in place—true or false?
2: False. False.
3: False. False. False.
0: False.
2: False. Bad. False. Bad. Yeah. yeah. And
0: yeah. <laughs> thank you all so very much. And thank you for playing my ridiculous little quick question game at the end. We had spent so much time in really, really heavy stuff. And it was great to be able to have some really meaningful, informative conversation that also got to involve some giggling since it's all about preventing getting sick as opposed to coping with what the negative ramifications of that sickness can be. And as always, friends, this topic is much too large to discuss in an hour. (laughs) And um, as our panelists said, follow them on Twitter or whatever social media you choose to embrace, um, please visit the websites that we talked about today. That way you can take some preventative precautions in your home. Um, And thank you all for joining us. Who can exactly be sure when we'll be back? I can honestly say not I, friends, not I. As you know, we tend to increase our briefings in times of urgency. So remember to subscribe on whatever service you've been tuning in on to receive all of the notifications. Um, Connect with us, share your experiences. Please continue to expand the chorus because together we can help keep each other informed and foster ongoing transparency in our communities. Um, next week, we will be at the eight-week mark, I believe not this Friday, but next Friday um, for tiny humans who received some of their first pediatric doses when they became available in Alberta. So if you are a parent of someone who chose to wait the eight weeks in between dose one and dose two um a good time to consider logging into the booking system and scheduling that second dose um, to help keep those tiny humans safe. And as always, Alberta, remember, COVID-19 is airborne. Wear the best mask with a secure fit you have access to, and vaccines are still saving lives.